Global Diplomacy Lab. Coffee Break. With Khaldun Asadi. Welcome to the GDL Coffee Break podcast. We introduce you to the work and ideas of inspiring experts within the Global Diplomacy Lab network. The GDL is a platform for exploring new and more inclusive diplomacy beyond traditional politics. In each episode of this podcast, we want to get an insight into the work routines, perspectives on global challenges and sources of inspiration from our wonderful guests. Enjoy your coffee or whatever hot and cold beverage you prefer along the way. And please consider the show notes as they provide further information on the topics raised. Today, I am talking to Omar Janya. He is head of experimentation in an accelerator lab at the UNDP in the Gambia. Hi, Omar. Hi, Kaldun. It's so great to, to be with you today. So, Omar, you are the team lead and the head of experimentation at the UNDP in, in the Gambia. You're currently on leave, as you've told me, but next week uh, you'll continue working. So um, what does a typical workday of yours look like and, and how do you get your, your things done? What are your work routines? Yeah, thank you for the invite, firstly. And uh, yes, indeed, I am on leave, just trying to get a little bit of rest before heading back into our, as you call it, daily routine, which involves a lot of check-in meetings, a lot of check-in meetings with our three-person team. And, uh, you know, this involves just starting off the week by talking about what we are having on our agendas, what we're going to tackle as a group, and meeting midway just to kind of check in and see where we are. And of course, uh, how we close out the week at the very end with what's been done. And of course, setting the tone for the following week. So lots of check-in meetings, but also lots of communicating because the way that we were set up, we were set up to try to challenge and change the way that we do development practice, right? And mm. uh, this new culture that we're supposed to usher in involves a lot of communications with our country offices. That's basically how UNDP coordinates its operations in country, but also just our partners. And these are very unconventional partners that one would not typically associate with UNDP like well for for instance we are working with a lot of startups and scale-ups that's not traditionally who UNDP works with because they mainly work with government partners uh, to implement uh, what's called the country program documents so given that the accelerator lab has been given a mandate to work with those outside of the conventional partners those at the very bottom of the pyramid those that are just starting up those that have a story to to share but also maybe perhaps an innovation as well uh, it's these kinds of people that we're talking to to design experiments to understand how they are coming up with solutions to get by on a day-to-day -day, but also just how all of what they're doing links to the sustainable development goals, right? These 17 sustainable development goals. Mm -hmm. So a day is 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 very uh, unpredictable um, for us, but lots of, like I say, communications, lots of check-in meetings, and just uh, being able to, to, to have a blank slate and trying to come up with crafty ways to better understand solutions, better try to scale solutions, or just see where we can improve our learnings as an organization and network of cultures coming together, but also 
network of labs uh, around the world. Can you give us a short insight on a topic that you are specifically working on, just so that we have an idea? Uh, sure. Um, when we started off the lab, I think, you know, we were set out with a frontier challenge and each one of the countries where the labs were being set up looked at obviously current issues and uh, what was affecting them in their immediate circles and came up with a frontier challenge. And ours was unemployment, youth unemployment. I mean, at the time, youth unemployment in the Gambia was 60%. Uh, national unemployment was 38%. And so this is where we started off. But Every hundred days or every uh, two to three quarters, these change, right? And we try to focus on the next set of frontier challenges. Uh, so currently one that we just concluded is on informalities uh, and informal markets. And this was very interesting because it was in response to the lockdowns that a lot of governments had to put in place when the COVID uh, pandemic broke out. And we basically were tasked to help informal markets have a certain aspect of business continuity. And this was a challenge to begin with because a lot of them were not used to digital technologies. A lot of them were not uh, literate, nor were they part of very organized structures. So if you try to intervene with a group or in a context like that, it becomes complicated. And I think us with our own individual backgrounds in the lab, had to learn from them. I think it had to be a co-creation, co-learning process for us to have any kind of meaningful intervention that would tackle business continuity for these traders, these market traders. Can you give us a short example, a practical solution that you have implemented with your partners on this matter? Absolutely. So what we did was roll out the first interactive voice recorder system in the Gambia, which would have allowed the traders that were not literate to be able to go into their basic analog phones, tap in a few numbers and be able to choose from a menu of cereals or oils or what have you and place an order that on a back end would be received by somebody sitting behind a computer process it using an e-delivery mechanism we put in place and be able to deliver the good to the end user. So this was not thought of before for these informal markets, but I think digitization is is part of a future that we all uh, have to accept. And uh, this is one way to ensure inclusivity, which is a huge part of the work that we do. You just mentioned the pandemic and the global impact that it had. And one part of this podcast is that we also want to know from, you know, from our experts that we invite, what they see as a global challenge or an aspect within that global challenge that they identify that, that we might also be more sensitive about. Um, what is a global challenge that you have identified that, that's really important for you? Well, I mean, there are several just because of where we work and how we work with the sustainable development goals, right? And being from the region that we are from, that, that is the Sahel region. I mean, being from this part of the world, there are numerous challenges when it comes to energy, when it comes to just youth displacement, which leads to illegal migration and a whole host of other issues. There's drought challenges and agricultural challenges. And so it's a matter of just taking your pick. But what comes closest to our lab here 
is perhaps challenges that are along the borderlands. And this does go back to the informal markets experiment that I discussed because it links to agriculture, it links to service delivery, but it also just links to employment because a lot of these individuals in the informal market depend on these markets for wages to be able to send their kids to school and what basically you would typify with a household uh, from this part of the world and from that region in particular where it's not necessarily digitized services, things that are do-it-yourself, on-the-go, available online. And so for me, I would link it to, again, um, informalities and informal markets. I think we have a huge percentage of the economies in these part of the world that are in the informal sectors. And there isn't any easy way to formalize those sectors, nor should there be one. I think we have to adapt business models so in a way that it fits their needs, where it's co-design, where it's co-learning, where we're actually talking to them and having them as key stakeholders in the process. And so for me, it can be a variety of issues, um, but I think central among these is probably how we engage with informal sector and informal markets in particular to find a way forward. Maybe you can, you know, for maybe some of our listeners don't have an understanding or not quite an idea of what an informal market is. Maybe you can make this more tangible for us with a short example. Uh, sure. In, in in the Gambia, where I'm, where I'm talking to you from, in the rural parts of the country, we and, and, and there's very few urban centers. Uh, so in the rural parts of the country, they have these weekly markets that fall on various days of the week across the different regions where the surrounding villages would gather. And it's a way for outgrowers and artisanal farmers and those with even large scale farms can bring their goods and ensure that it gets it's an exposure. It's a platform for for the consumers to be able to purchase goods, for them to be able to advertise their services and whatever uh, else uh, one can imagine from a market. But there is, there is no formal organization around these markets. We have local government officials who go there to collect rates because the dates are established across the various regions. And we have also uh, those that are responsible for delivery who make sure that there's that last mile delivery from the informal market setting itself, which is normally just a field in a community, usually the largest community. People gather there. There's livestock, agricultural produce, and various goods. And also there's a certain level of organization within that chaos, if I can call it that respectfully, of course, that you do have an agent kind of structure where they would be responsible to make sure that goods that are purchased are listed and that the applicable rates the right rates are being applied to goods going to, say, a further village versus a village that's just maybe two miles away. And just that those who are on the delivery and also pay their dues as well to make sure that income is being circulated and generated for multiple parties. And so these markets are, again, usually along border towns, but the largest among the border towns and villages would gather there. And uh, basically, it's one day a week and it moves around the region. So if it's Monday in the nearest region to the capital, it might be Tuesday as you go further out and so on. So uh, these attract even traders from neighboring Senegal. And we know that there's also a, a informal market culture there. And these are called LUMOs locally. So there's also a LUMO culture in Senegal. And what we saw was that when the lockdown was put in place, the LUMOs were still occurring on the Senegalese border. 
So Gambian traders would venture to the Senegalese border uh, just to make sure that goods were being uh, traded and sold and what have you, and to have a means of business continuity. So that's why I say that for me, it's an important issue that if we do scale, we scale with our friends across the border in Senegal. Um, but we were also told that Burkina and, and places like Guinea also feature in these uh, informal weekly markets that we have across the rural Gambia. You talked about digitalization within informal markets. There's also this whole hype around cryptocurrencies for countries that are developing in their economies. Is that a topic that is important too for that region that you're working in? Um, I, I would not feel comfortable speaking for the region, but for the Gambia at this point in time, I would say it is too soon. What we introduced was not just that IVR system that I mentioned. We also had an e-commerce platform for those traders that were literate and for those consumers who had family members, say, within the diaspora. In fact, there's a lot of Gambians living in Germany. There's a lot of Gambians living in Europe at large. And sometimes what we notice is that they would be making the daily purchase orders for their family members back home. So, you know, those on that side who are more used to e-commerce platforms and making orders online and purchases online uh, were catered for. And we saw in the end that they themselves were actually making requests on our platform. So they may, uh, for instance, miss a uh, traditional local dish. And what they'll do is place an order for, say, palm oil or a type of vegetable like bitter tomatoes, for instance. That's really difficult to get outside of the Gambia. And that was just testament to the fact that these kinds of business models or these kinds of platforms are needed, but very often we forget some of these users that may not just be our direct linear, you know, end user when we're thinking about processes. So what we try to do is just to cater for those that are on the margins, on the horizon. And uh, with this intervention, we saw exactly what that could look like. But in the same vein, when we talk about innovations, it wasn't without challenge when we tried to roll out the interactive voice recorder. The telecommunications companies needed to be on board. And out of the four that we have in the country, only one was willing to work with us. So sometimes it's about innovation within the development organization and international actors in a host country, but also innovation at the public sector. So would the two have to kind of have some level of association and some level of synchronicity? Uh, and if that's not in place, what we see is that the interventions that we are talking about often fall flat. Uh, they're not able to reach the stage of having a proof of concept, yet alone even talking about scaling it out to other regions or other countries indeed. Okay. Right? Wow. I mean, that sounds like a, a very complex task that, you, that you're working on. But where do you get your inspiration from to do the work that you're doing? I would say definitely the private sector and the unending passion for innovation and disruption. I think that, you know, as a student of science, technology and innovation, you know, uh, disruption is something I'm fascinated by. Complexity is something that I'm fascinated by and complex structures in particular. So having on an individual level lived in the diaspora for many years myself and coming back home, I immersed myself into it very deeply. And to be able to be on the end where we can design interventions, platforms, and processes that can have a, a significant impact in the lives of people um, 
for me, it's very rewarding. And I think, you know, with the Lumo example, uh, we have 38 Lumos around the country at which roughly 50,000 women go to. So to be able to introduce an intervention that could impact the lives of at least a proportion of them um, is, is very gratifying. And I think we always go into the office prepared to push the boundaries, push the frontiers, um, all, of course, within uh, the framework of what UNDP does in the Gambia. But we um, were always fascinated by UNDP trying to mimic the practices of the private sector by creating these accelerator labs. And I think that what we've done uh, over the past two years of our existence, not in Gambia, I'm talking about the labs globally now, has shown that innovation can be born from within the development sphere. It doesn't always have to be from an R&D center of a firm or what have you. And I think that, you know, this batch of individuals that have come into the organization um, have challenged that. And we've seen it in many ways about how we're tackling new issues and drawing up strategic plans and long-term plans and visions. And I think that this is kind of what we need. It's not always about entrepreneurship. I think sometimes we need to have organizational intrapreneurs who can change the way we work, who can change the way we interact with our partners and collaborators. And in the end, I think we will have a very different and very novel way of how we tackle these ever complex challenges, um, climate change, global warming, droughts, food shortages. These things require a mesh with 4IR technology, fourth industrial revolution technologies. It needs to factor in things like Bitcoin because that's a new reality and that a lot of processes are in fact borderless. Uh, and so, you know, we're dealing with issues altogether simultaneously. And I think we need to have networks that are strong to be able to share best practices and learnings and insights. So this is kind of what motivates me um, in a nutshell. And, you know, it's been very gratifying so far. Omar, that was a wonderful conversation. And I thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the GDL Coffee Break Podcast. Executive producers are Nele Finsel and Lea Schindler. Audio production by Thomas Reintjes. Visual design by Juli August. Music, Brett, produced by La Crembo. This is your host, Khalduna Sadi, and I hope you tune in next time. <laughs>